People have asked me, what are you going to do after you get done preaching through the Bible? I said, I want to go back and do it again. Part of the reason I love preaching from the Bible is because the book is 2,000 plus years old, but it is still absolutely relevant to where it is that you and I live today. This passage we're going to look at from Acts 8, it happened 2,000 years ago. People in a different part of the world, you could look at it one way and say it couldn't be more different than our life. But you know what? As we walk through, you are going to have moments through here where you're going to go, wow, that's talking to me. And the Bible does that for us. That's why it's called God's living word. If you've got your Bible with you, we're in Acts, the 8th chapter, beginning in the first verse. Let me tell you where it is, what's happened since we left off. Uh, Stephen, one of the uh, deacons in the early church, remember there had been an argument between the, the groups representing the two different widows that some of the widows weren't getting enough food. They were getting left out. And so the, the disciples said, well, choose seven men from among you. And they we call them deacons. And they're the ones that are going to take care of making sure that everybody gets what they need. Stephen was one of them. He was dearly loved. He was a, he was a good man. He loved God and he loved the people. Chapter 7, he gives a sermon. It's a phenomenal sermon. It's a powerful sermon. Boy, do I wish God would let me preach like that. But at the end of the sermon, what happened was is apparently it was too strong for some of the people because the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people who he had some real harsh words for took him outside the city and started throwing rocks at him until he was dead. We now know Stephen as the first martyr, the first man to die for his faith after Jesus died. Unfortunately, since that day, an awful lot of other people have too. So part of this text is about suffering. Part of this text is about how is it that we understand what God is doing in our world. Picking up in chapter 8 of the book of Acts, the first verse, it's just this thing that's thrown out there. It says, And Saul approved of his execution. That's all it says. This is our introduction to Saul. The original Greek, it was more than that he just approved. What was really going on in Saul's mind, the original language tells us, is that Saul took delight in Stephen's death. Saul Saul took delight that his people were so upset and were so, so quick to defend their religious leaders that they wanted to put an end to his message. Saul took delight, not just in the fact that his people were able to carry out this stoning of Stephen, he took delight in the fact that Stephen died. He took delight in the fact that maybe this would end this problem that they were having that didn't seem to go away, even though they'd killed this Jesus guy. Saul took delight in all of it. See, they were hoping that this Jesus movement would have a quick end if, if they could kill the leader and now get rid of this guy who seemed to be their spokesman. Maybe it was, would be all over, but, you know, it wasn't over. In fact, God was just beginning. Not only that, but Saul, he wasn't a good man. As it turns out, God had really big plans for Saul. It isn't too long after this that this fearsome man named Saul has a one-on-one encounter and is radically transformed. He meets Jesus on a road. He's out there all by himself, and he meets Jesus, and they have a conversation. He's radically transformed. And from then on, we know him as Paul, the missionary. Paul, the man that wrote so much of the New Testament. You and I can take heart in Paul's story, and here's why. 
Because you should know that you are never too far. You've never done anything that takes you too far out of the reach or the grasp of God's redeeming love and your own personal transformation. Where we start today is we can look at Saul and the good news that you can say today is at least I'm not as bad as him. Because he was not a good man. And yet God had plans for him. Saul is a perfect example and proof that God isn't nearly concerned with who you've been or what you've done up to this point as He is concerned with who you are willing to be and what you are willing to let Him do in your life from this point forward. It goes on and it says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. What I love about that, when you read it carefully, they were scattered. The church is referred to as a they. Jeff talked to us a while ago about the ecclesia, the gathering of believers. The church wasn't a building. It wasn't a central location. This building is not the church. You are the church. And it says the church was scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, except the apostles who stayed behind in Jerusalem. It was almost as if the persecution of the church began as early and as quickly as the murder of Jesus for whom the Christian church takes its name. We all take Christ's name as Christians, don't we? No sooner had the church gotten a foothold in Jerusalem than people were scattered throughout the near Middle East except, the Bible says, for the apostles. In Acts 1.8, Jesus had talked about this. He told them it was going to happen. He wasn't predicting anything, but He prophesied. He made a promise. And the promise in 1.8 is, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that's key. And you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem, which is what they've been, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus knew what was going to happen to those folks. He knew where they were going. He knew what was going to lie ahead for them. So what we're seeing now is the part of Judea and Samaria And then there's the part that reaches us, and we are the end of the earth. But it's still ongoing because not everyone yet has been reached. God's work isn't done, which is why God asks us to be a part of it. See, sometimes God uses these really challenging situations or difficult circumstances in our lives to accomplish His most significant purposes. Not through our own hard work or best intentions, but when we allow the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon us and work within us, to do the things that we cannot on our own, that we will not, that we would not, that we could not on our own. See, part of the reason that we're not immune to difficulties in life is because sometimes it's only in those difficulties when we get pushed out of our comfort and we find ourselves with absolutely nothing in life to rely on but God. They're not easy days. They're miserable. They're uncomfortable. Most of us would change them in a heartbeat. But see, God allows us to go through those because in those moments, as He carries us through them, He can be glorified. There's a long history in the Christian church of Christians being persecuted and put to death for their faith and the Christian faith growing through the persecution. What does that mean for you and I? Maybe I want you to think about something. Maybe the challenge that you're facing isn't God picking on you. Maybe the thing that you're having to deal with that you trade for just about anything isn't God being upset with you at all. Maybe whatever it is that you're struggling with, and we all do all the time, 
Whatever that big thing is that you're facing right now, maybe really it's an opportunity that God can advance His kingdom and get the good news of Jesus out through you. How does that happen? Because we realize that our suffering isn't all about us, but that through our suffering, God can be glorified. And that's a tough thing to see. That's a hard thing as a Christian to focus on. The people in the book of Acts had a hard time with it as well, but you know what? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, they got it right. In verse 2 it says, Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. The Christians learned early on, these very first Christians learned, that while they believed in Jesus, it did not mean that they were going to live without the pain of death. Stephen was a much-loved leader in that early church. He loved the people and he loved Jesus. And losing him was a painful one for them, especially the way that they lost him. Being a Christian doesn't mean that death avoids us or that death avoids our loved ones. What it does mean is that we know and we can have confidence that death isn't the end. That death death does not have the final word. Because of Jesus and His death and resurrection on the cross for us, we can be assured that when we put our faith and hope and trust in Him, our death will not be the end for us. We are promised new life in Him, in this life, and for all eternity. Verse 3, it says, But Saul was ravaging Horrible word. Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Women who the culture didn't allow to have any place in society or the church. Saul didn't care. He grabbed men and women and he hauled them all off to prison. The young Saul is building his resume as a Christian killer and a persecutor of the church. So just imagine if that was you and I today. What if someone set loose in America and they started going door to door, house to house, taking everyone who claimed to be a Christian and throwing us in jail? How strong would your faith be then? What would you have to say if they asked you if you believed? We've got examples in other parts of the world where people are literally staring at the end of a rifle asked, do you believe in Jesus? Their answer is yes and their life is over. They don't back down. And these people, they weren't backing down. And Saul was attacking them and persecuting them. He wasn't the least bit afraid of attempting to destroy Christianity by taking care and destroying everyone who believed in Christ. They killed Jesus. They thought if they could take care of a few of them, they could kill hope. But godly hope cannot be killed. When we really understand who God is, that hope lasts through everything. Verse 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the Word. This verse, I've read it a whole lot before. I never looked at it the way I did getting ready for this message. This is really incredible to me. Those who were scattered went about preaching the Word. So here's this thing. All these people are leaving Jerusalem. They're leaving because they're afraid of their lives. They've killed Jesus. They've stoned Stephen. And now they're after them. So imagine if this is you and I. They're coming after us and we've got to go. We've got to get out of here. They went to different countries. We went to Canada or Mexico or wherever it was that we could get to. We went to a place that is a different culture, a different language. That's what these folks are doing. They're scattering because their lives are on the line. Saul is on the hunt for each and every one of them. These first Christians are literally religious outcasts. They're run away from their home because of what they believe. But unlike so much of what we see and hear about in our world today, these people didn't disperse through the Middle East as refugees. What does that verse say? Go back. They scattered and went about doing what? 
preaching the Word. These folks were driven out of their homes for fear of their life. They were sent into countries that they didn't understand, languages that they didn't speak, and people especially with the Samaritans who didn't like them. But they didn't leave as refugees and enter the countries as refugees. They saw themselves as missionaries. They went and preached the Word. They lived and conducted themselves as missionaries, not as refugees. You and I, we're here as a result of that first mission excursion that the people didn't choose, but that they were sent scattering for their lives. These men and women who are fleeing their homes and running off to find somewhere safe are out bringing the news, the good news, of a new life in Jesus to the people around them. God uses the most improbable and seemingly impossible situations to bring about His purposes. It's very clearly written in the book of Acts. The question is, do you trust Him to do that in your life? Take that struggle that you're dealing with, that pain you're going through, that heartache, whatever it is. Do you trust God can carry that through and turn it into something truly remarkable in Him? doesn't mean it's going to get easier for you. It doesn't tell us that life became fun for these folks. The word fun is never used. But do you trust Him to do the seemingly impossible in your life so that He can be glorified? See, what these folks prove to us is that it isn't your circumstances that define your future. It's how you respond to them. Maybe what feels like suffering to you is really God wanting to use you for His glory. Maybe your suffering isn't about you at all. Maybe your suffering is an opportunity for God to use you to bring someone who doesn't know Him into a relationship with Jesus. It says in verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. We've learned in other examples in the New Testament that the Jewish people and the Samaritan people didn't get along. Samaritans were half Jewish. They were a mixed race people. The Jews didn't like them. The Samaritans didn't like the Jews. They didn't get along at all. Philip goes into this culture and he's going to preach the good news. These folks don't want to hear it. They've got, hear it. They've got their own customs. They believe they understand religion. They believe that they've got God well under control. Yet Philip goes to them to proclaim the good news of Jesus to an audience that may not right away have wanted to hear it at all. And part of the reason you and I say, I'm not going to go talk to people about Jesus. I don't want to offend anybody. Ah, They might not be happy with me. They might not like what I have to say. You know what? It's not a good answer because Philip didn't stop for any of those reasons. And because he was faithful as a missionary, verse 6 says, "...the crowds with one accord all together..." All of them paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. When they heard his message of hope and love and forgiveness and a new life in Jesus, and then they were witnesses to the miracles that Philip did in the name of Jesus. See, the Bible tells us that where the Holy Spirit is present, because remember early on it said in the power of the Holy Spirit? That's key, I said that. The Bible says that where the Holy Spirit is present, there's going to be evidence. It's called fruit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is present, that fruit is going to be present. Miracles. People will be healed and restored. There's going to be a new spirit among the people as God's Holy Spirit comes to live among them. There's going to be a joy that goes beyond our understanding. There's going to be a joy that goes beyond happiness. There's going to be miracles where, wow, we didn't see any hope. I give to you, Brian. Whoever would have thought 
that that explosion would have been a cause for God to be celebrated. And yet here you are. It's all about how we face those situations. And only in the Holy Spirit can God be glorified and will we be carried through. But the Bible says that proof, that evidence, is always going to be there. Verse 7, what is the proof? For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. We pray daily around here for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to be at work in this place and among us. Why? Because I don't know about you, but I want nothing to do with a church that is only about people's good ideas and hard work and best efforts. I want to give my life to a church that is all about living in the power of God's Holy Spirit and working together to accomplish what God has called us to do. There's two very different kinds of churches in the world, those that allow the Holy Spirit to lead them and those who do their thing without the Holy Spirit. Too many churches, I'm afraid, are led by pastors who are far too impressed with themselves and how great they are and how much they're going to accomplish. But when you look at the evidence of the Holy Spirit being at work, oftentimes there aren't many healings, there's not any miracles, there's no joy. It would seem the Holy Spirit never made His way through the front door. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is always a gentleman. The Holy Spirit is never going to force you to do something that you're not open to doing. The Holy Spirit is not going to force His way into your life or into a church. But the Holy Spirit will always come when invited and welcomed. I served under a pastor once. And I should have known this with the first sermon that I heard preached there. The first sermon was about there are no miracles anymore. That pastor said, I don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit. I don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit because as soon as the Holy Spirit shows up, then I'm not in control anymore. And I went, wow. Don't worry about it. He'll pass right on by. He was worried about being out of control. I don't think he ever fully realized that he was never in control. So what's the evidence? What's the result of all of this? Verse 8 says, So there was much joy in that city. That city filled with people that really weren't excited about Philip arriving. That probably didn't want to hear anything but he had to say at all. And yet there was much joy in that city. Why? Because God was powerfully at work through the willing obedience of a handful of men and women led by Philip who would not be stopped from preaching the good news of Jesus. Their persecution and their suffering was turned into a joy for an entire city of people. But this was happening throughout Judea and Samaria and the whole Middle East. Suddenly there was joy where there had never been any. Suddenly there was the love of Jesus where it had not been. There was the power of the Holy Spirit at work where the Holy Spirit had not been. That's great for them, but what about us? What about today? What about our city? What about Candiohi County? What about New London and Spicer and Wilmer and Howick? What about the surrounding area from where we sit right now? Is there great joy in our area because of what God is doing through His people here? Is there joy in your home? I'm not asking if they're suffering. I know there is. I'm asking if there's joy. Is there joy in your car on the way to work? Is there joy when you get to the office? Is there joy when you're hanging out with friends? See, the Bible says where there is the Holy Spirit, there is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And where the Holy Spirit is, there is joy. 
So we've got to ask the question about ourselves here. Are we seeing evidence of the Holy Spirit at work among us? Yes, we are. We dedicate. He just disappeared again. We just, your family is just on the move, man. Griffin is evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit at work among us. We didn't do anything right. But God did an incredible miracle. Yes, there is evidence all around us. And we're not alone because we know that we are just one of many other churches that are filled with faithful Christians who are asking God to heal, to restore, to transform and to bring the light and the life of Jesus to this area. And it happens by Jesus coming into personal interaction with one person at a time, just like He did with Saul. It begins with Jesus becoming real to you. We are one of the churches that are praying that prayer. This place is not about how great or how good we are, but we are all about how great and how faithful and how loving and how merciful and how all-powerful our great Creator God is. And in that message, there's life, there's hope, there's transformation, and there's peace. In that message, there is great joy. Do you have joy this morning? Do you have joy that despite the circumstances that you're in, that you know God is in control and the power of the Holy Spirit of present, is present in your life? So if you want to live your life as a disciple of His and to know for yourself healing and wholeness and transformation and hope, and to be a part of bringing Jesus and godly joy to our communities then I would say to you, like we said to Pastor Rich and Karen a little bit ago, welcome home. We're not the only ones praying that and trying to live it out, but we're one of them. If that's what you're looking for, that's who we are and that's what we're about. If that's what you're looking for in your relationship to Jesus, welcome home. Let's pray. God, joy is a thing that's hard for us oftentimes to understand because You created us to be emotional Beings, You created us to have feelings. And those feelings get hurt. And those feelings are often sadness and anger. Frustration and loss. And yet, God, You know that. You recognize that. You don't shy away from that. That is why You sent Jesus to do what He did for us that we cannot do for ourselves. That in His death and resurrection and the power of Your Holy Spirit, despite suffering and sadness and loss, and mourning, and frustration, and anger. Despite all of those things, we can still know true and lasting joy in You. God, help us to be a people who are a people of joy. People who always welcome and invite Your Holy Spirit at work among us. God, help us to be people who understand ourselves as missionaries, not as refugees. In Jesus' name. Folks, you've got the opportunity every single day to be a refugee or to be a missionary. And whatever is going on in your life, God has already given you everything that you need to be a missionary. And no matter how painful the suffering you may be going through, you have the opportunity to speak life into someone else and take your suffering and through the Holy Spirit turn it into joy. I would challenge you to do that.